seeing somebody you hate meet their demise in this book is like a burger after a year-long diet. Balon says, nobody gives me a crown, I take what I want. And he says, I've got another target. Do we want to speculate on where he's going? Note Kalin, eh? Flint's finger, Barrowton, Wolfswood. <laughs> he's turned down Casterly Rock to take the grand prize of Barrowton. <laughs> Some people believe that Varys is actually, bear with me here, a mermaid. What? Welcome to episode two of Shark Liver Oil's coverage of George R. R. Martin's second in his series of A Song of Ice and Fire. This is A Clash of Kings 2, and this episode is called The Nightlands. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. The Nightlands, Dave. The Nightlands. Yeah, I don't. Uh, having read this section of the book, I'm still not sure what that refers to I mean it, it is it is we've called it that because this is what the second episode of season two of Game of Thrones is called and we're roughly trying to follow that sort of that series although the book diverges quite significantly it's worth pointing out now actually that um, the material we're covering in this podcast which is directly from the book doesn't follow quite so well to um, what happened in in the corresponding episode in the series so if you've come to listen to a chat specifically about the Game of Thrones Season 2 series, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> if, you, if, you're wondering, if you're wondering what on earth we're talking about, um, the new uh, trailer for Game of Thrones Series 4 has just come out, and it ends with Tyrion saying, Dave, if you're looking for justice, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> That's actually really good. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm, I'm almost a little disappointed because I thought it was going to be really shit and it'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so what? So so what have you come to the right place for? Well, um, Charlotte Liver Oil. Um, what we do every week, we we basically break books down into bite-sized chunks and then you know leisurely make our way through them, discussing them sort of page by page. This is the second part of uh, A Clash of Kings. And if you remember last time, we told you to read from pages 112 to 207. Uh, 112 was a chapter uh, about Tyrion. And he was sitting down with Janos Slintz. We'll go back to that in a sec. And then, you know, you'll find out when we get to the next bit where we're reading to. But it was page 11, what was it? Page 207. Yeah. Right, shall we get, uh, shall we get a crack in them? Nothing Let's get on. You've not introductory things to say this time, have you? <laughs> nope. No. Okay. <laughs> no. What? You make it's it sound like before, I usually so. take up the first ten minutes of every podcast and <laughs> talking about my life. <laughs> now it's time for Dave's introductory address. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. The Nightlands. So, we start off with Tyrion sitting down with Janos Slint. Now, it's worth just making a mention of who Janos Slint is. He's the leader of the Gold Cloaks of the City Watch. And if you remember, he's the guy who was pretty central to to Littlefinger's plan to betray Ned. Um, he took the money from the Queen rather than from Ned and ended up slaughtering his men in the throne room. Uh, he's done quite well out of that. He's been given um, Heron Hall, which is a really um, lucrative... Uh, seat in a, in a quite a, quite a lucrative part of uh, the Riverlands, 
but he's not gone there yet and he's just preparing to leave um, what did you make of Janos Slint? well obviously he's a horrible weaselly little squit but I have to say I don't really have terribly strong emotions about him just yet because the only time we've really been aware of him has been when he's been doing the evil bidding of Littlefinger yeah, and so, and I already hated Littlefinger, so most of my Littlefinger was like a like a lightning lightning rod for my <laughs> anger. So Janos Slint, I hadn't I, before I read this bit, I hadn't really had reason to consider, but but it is you know on reflection, it's a bit of a crazy thing, you know, isn't it? It's like he's like the luckiest bent copper in the universe. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the like a corrupt run of the mill policeman who helps out the right guy and gets given the rights to all the all the tax gathered in like Surrey or something you know it's just it's absurd <laughs> and actually going into this it's a bit like what kind of a conversation are they going to have because he's not Tyrion's sort of guy but then again Tyrion's a very astute politician so is he going to keep this easily buyable fella on side yeah you know I'm curious but we yeah. shall see yeah, well, um, Tyrion is sort of assessing him um, over his wine, and um, he thinks of him as a not a man to sip his wine. Um, Janus is this kind of guy who gulps down wine as he goes. He's quite brash, and um, I just thought it was quite interesting because, um, in terms of so Tyrion's respect for Janus Slint, because. He's for all the for all the much he, he doesn't like his father. He definitely has a respect for him and his ability. And Tyr- uh, Tywin Lannister definitely is the kind of man to take sips of his drink. I think he actually is described as doing it quite a lot. Oh, and right, I think yeah. it's just an interesting character trait because um, Janos is the kind of character who just. Um, bull rushes into things and sort of you know um, doesn't really think too deeply about what's going on and uh, that's quite the opposite I, li- I do like the way he's quite a, still quite a delicate and kind of lordly way that Tyrion's in a monologue describes him you know yeah. when, when what he's what, what's the phrase he uses he's not one to sip his wine yeah yeah <laughs> so piss then yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is I suppose is the difference between me and Tyrion Lannister you know <laughs> So, um, so, so, Janice Lint's leaving for Harrenhal, his new, his newly uh, awarded seat, and mm. he's suggesting who to replace him. And basically, he wants one of his cronies to to, to be his replacement. He suggests this guy called Aladim. Um, <laughs> Do you know? Sorry, Go when on. I read that, um, have you seen the Sasha Baron Cohen movie, The Dictator? No. It's it's really really funny actually far more surprisingly funny than I thought it would be, um, mm-hmm. but he plays this kind of vaguely Gaddafi type character, yeah. um, you know this dictator who's called Admiral General Aladdin, <laughs> and, and there's and he's this preposterous character. There's this one scene where he enters New York on on camelback, but they've yeah. got like. Um, They've got that Dr. Dre track playing in the background, and just over the top of it is Aladdin, motherfucker. He's <laughs> brilliant. So I was reading this, and there's a character called Aladdin, and all I can hear in my head is bow, 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 Aladdin, motherfucker. Well, his existence. Um, looks like it may be mercifully short in this book, oh. so you might we won't have to think about that too much. Excellent. So he, yeah, so he's off to Harrenhal, and 
the 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 backstory the reason he wants Aladdin promoted or he suggests Aladdin is promoted is that he will do anything without question um including the sort of this there was this very uh horrible passage where they've gone around the city watch have gone around killing all of uh all of uh, the old king robbers bastards including mm. sort of young children and babies and this guy Aladdin is um has been quite happy to do that and you can immediately tell all the way through this um, passage Tyrion there's an obvious simmering dislike from Tyrion's side which is just keeping under the surface and I think this is one of the things that particularly rankles him because he doesn't like this isn't his character is it this kind of level of ruthlessness and also um, the way that Janus Lint's speaking of like the people in the brothels and the whores who've been killed trying to protect the children um, is obviously as if they're less than human and yeah. Ty- uh, Tyrion's had these experiences in the past where he sees them as something more than that absolutely I mean it's the, it's cripples bastards and broken things isn't it that's what that's mm. what he's con- concerned for as well as power and as well as his family so um yeah I, I I thought this was um this was a fantastic scene and it kind of it bubbles with all of this um, you know I mean without wanting to make a tasteless pun like Tyrion is very much on the side of the little guy you know and yeah. and it's almost the, the whole way that Janos Slint is in this is kind of like a kid who's learned how to be a bully because of other bigger bullies and mm. has never really questioned that is about yeah. to be obliged to question that. I think that's really good. Yeah. Um, now the he also Tyrion also looks at Janus Lint's sigil, which is taken. Now he's a, now he's a, a, a lord, and it's a bloody spear, um, and that's sort of in reference to I suppose the way he became a lord, which was through stabbing people in the back, really. Um, yeah. And he obviously has a look at that and has a little think as well. And in the end, his sort of plan is revealed, and he says to Janice Slint that you're not you're not going to go to Harrenhal, you're going to go to the Wall. Um, he's basically made a unilateral decision to banish him to the yeah. Wall and make him become a member of the Night's Watch. What a fool! Yeah. What a fool! He's gone in there as the guy who runs the city, who's risen and who is seriously badass. And now, what? Yeah. But all I did was kill mercilessly on command. What on earth would make you think <laughs> that I was untrustworthy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and also he he starts blustering at Slint, saying, you know, oh well, I've got friends at court, and we'll see about this. And um, he's kind of shut down where he doesn't get the chance to speak to any friends at court. He just gets dragged out and mm. stuck on a boat straight away. So you know. Well, yeah, and for all for all Tyrion's sort of concern for cripples, bastards, and broken things, he's absolutely no mercy whatsoever for big shambling pisshead bullies. <laughs> um, no, or, or their friends, because all six of the uh, people he that he's put forward, that Janice Lint's put forward um, to replace him. I'll end up on the boat with him as well up for the, up to the night's watch. And actually, Aladim, his uh, number one friend, yeah. he says he says to uh, to the guy who's taking them north, it wouldn't be a terrible you know mistake if uh, if he happened to fall overboard on the journey. So it doesn't look like he's not going to even make it to the wall. Bloody hell! 
<laughs> um, do you know what I thought mostly about this segment was? Do you remember at the end of the last book, I was really pissed off because George Martin had left us with Arya with a knife to her throat. Yeah, and you're just like, you can't what at the, the end of the book? You can't <laughs> leave me hanging like that, you bastard. Um, but um, uh, and and I thought, you know, you know, here's an author that just doesn't give a shit about pleasing the audience. <laughs> you know, giving yeah. you that kind of shameful visceral thrill of seeing somebody that you hate properly fucked over yeah um and but here you actually have that you do have this is a real crowd pleasing scene for once a character that you're rooting for is in an interaction with a character that you don't like and he gets the better of them and they get their comeuppance and i I wonder when we're going to see that again what do you think because it doesn't (laughs) seem like george martin's terribly fond of that as an approach to the world (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, it's um, it, that that's that that makes it makes these moments all the better, doesn't it? When you have those, um, you need those terrible moments where you're reading it, thinking, "Oh, this is oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is terrible." And um, and then you get the sort of hopefully some characters get their comeuppances. You never know. Sometimes it doesn't happen though. It tries to mimic real life, doesn't it? I suppose. Well, that's true. And yeah, I suppose. Like the sort of shameful joy of seeing seeing somebody you hate uh, meet their demise <laughs> in this book is like a burger after a year long diet, isn't it? You're just like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> conventional narrative. <laughs> um, so, so Tyrion decides to to promote this guy called Jacqueline Bywater um, to the City Watch, who seems to be a more um, I think he was recommended by Bron, um, and he's uh, <laughs> a, oh, oh no, a no, trustworthy was, individual. Uh, actually, no, no, he was, was Varys. He was recommended by. Um, <laughs> oh, an even more trustworthy more, individual. Yeah, yeah, but he does seem to be a bit more. Um, he's got a bit more about him. This guy, Jacqueline Bywater, is he's a bit more honourable, I suppose, and mm. and he will. He's, he's assured that he will serve with uh, integrity. But I suppose Varys will say that, won't he? Um, there is a chat. Can, can Varys even spell integrity? Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> of all the people that I wouldn't go to for a character reference vis-a-vis <laughs> straightforward trustworthiness, it's Varys, isn't it? Yeah. It's like going yeah. to Cal Drogo for, for a character reference for an astrophysicist. It's just, that's, that's not where you go. He's not going to have the material <laughs> you need. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, there is this uh, discussion between Varys and, um, and Tyrion. Once... Uh, once Janus Lint's taken away, Varys arrives, and uh, <laughs> Tyrion says in sort of a half-hearted threat, a kind of a joke, kind of a threat, um, that he's half tempted to send Varys up there as well and chuck him overboard because he doesn't know <laughs> whether to trust him or not. Mm. And um, Varys says you, that you might be disappointed in the results if you throw me overboard. He says the storms come and go, the waves crash overhead, the big fish eat the little fish, and I keep on paddling. Mm. Um, now that is to me quite a nice um it's just just a nice way of putting just how various operates isn't it and how yeah. he survived um various different kings and uh various different rises and falls of powerful people mm. yeah because he has a power that everybody wants to buy which is absolutely loyal to him he's got this unbelievable network of spies yeah there yeah. is a crazy theory here, Dave. Shall we Ooh. just very briefly discuss it? Yeah, please. I'm some, all about crazy theories. 
some people believe that Varys is actually <laughs> bear with me here a mermaid and this is him sort of literally saying that what yeah <laughs> who who precisely are these people <laughs> i don't know um <laughs> just just various theories on the internet ah um, theories on the internet this is from the same school of theory making that gave us um that uh, gave us paul mccartney is dead uh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, um, right. but any—I mean, it's hard to have any thoughts on that, isn't it? Really? But tell me more, because I mean, is there is there any other evidence that Varys is a? For example, does he, without having had it mentioned in the text, flop around with a fish <laughs> fish tail instead of legs? That would be a fairly open indication that he is in fact the mermaid. Uh, <laughs> well. Uh, you never see his legs. <laughs> uh, what, and he's suspiciously fond of swimming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, is there anything to this theory other than that, other than this kind of backhanded elliptical comment? Um, I don't think so. That's a. <sighs> uh, I mean, no. I mean, maybe we'd chop this out and, and discuss it another time and I'll do a bit more research, but I just came across it on the internet and thought, <laughs> That's brilliant. crazy theory. Crazy That's theory. Well, though, I think it's hilarious. I, I would love to look more into that because <laughs> hopefully it is from a conspiracy theorist who has at least put the hours in. It's not yeah. just... Because that, that's not so much a conspiracy theory, is it? As, like, <laughs> a stoner joke. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I reckon it is? I... He's a mermaid. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I suppose that the supporting evidence would be he's got a, a fairly mysterious past. He came from somewhere which no one really knows. Um, and he seems to have these almost supernatural powers of being able to um, know what everybody's doing for some reason. Um, although there is fairly rational explanation for that. Um so, I mean, that's possible. I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't sit right for me. And also, I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't feel like... It just doesn't feel like something that fits with the whole tone of the book either. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't um, know. I can just about see it in George Martin to, to pull <laughs> that kind of surrealist thing. And he'd do it after five books as well, wouldn't he? He'd do like yeah. a sort of... And by the way, half of the people here turn out to be munchkins. Like, <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. What you mean you never mentioned that they could all fly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does sound possible, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, they, they also have a chat about, uh, they continue this discussion. Do you remember last week we talked about the power riddle where he says um, there's a there's a man um, with a cell sword, like a man with a sword standing in front of three men. One uh, man says, kill yeah. the other two because I'm your king. One says, kill the other two because I'm a, I'm a priest and God demands it. And one says, kill the other two because I'm rich and I'll pay you. And he says, which, uh, who lives and who dies? Mm. And uh, they, can, they sort of finish off that discussion. And uh, Tyrion says his answer again, which is, it depends on the, it depends on the, uh, on the cell sword. Yeah. And uh, I like this because it, the, the the lesson that um, or the the point that Varys is making through this is that um, power resides where men believe it resides, and that it's just a trick. And yeah. you know, effectively, like, I think he says, it's a shadow on the wall, mm. and it's, there's nothing really tangible about it. It's just what everybody else believes, 
mm-hmm. um, and I thought that was quite interesting because they, they actually turn it into a um, they actually apply it to what's happening here and they say you know who's who's powerful what is it is is it the holding a sword if that's the case why aren't the strongest men in the kingdom the kings because what almost any one of them could kill Joffrey where he stands it's something else and yeah. it's uh, I was I just thought it was quite an interesting discussion yeah and and i mean i'm a i'm a geek for this sort of thing so i i really love it and um and this is another area where like varis gets to be a little gets to piggyback in a little bit of philosophy as well as being the kind <laughs> of deeply untrustworthy person that he is um yeah i i, I mean I, that's really interesting because of course it's true and i think that actually holds true um in lots of places you know like i've uh, i've read um, there's a Terry Pratchett book, which is, uh, or lots of them actually, which are based around the idea of like a police force, and um, and one of the main characters in that is the head of the police, and he's just like, yeah, I mean, all we've got, literally all we've got, is a symbolic line because mm. we could get overwhelmed in seconds if people didn't, if people weren't choosing to go along with us, yeah, because um, there's more of them than there are of us, and it's the same same thing here, and I think I think in a backhanded way, this is kind of Varys almost trying to encourage Tyrion. Um, because yeah. what he's saying is it doesn't matter that you are despised and it doesn't matter that you are laughed at. It doesn't matter that you couldn't beat anybody. You, you couldn't even beat the children in this place in a fight. Um, you can still be very powerful if you mm. know how to create an illusion. Um, so there's almost a sense of this is just varies in this extremely backhanded, slithery, untrustworthy kind of a way, trying to give some like uncleish advice. Yeah, and I just think that's really cute. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's an, a good point from from Varys as well because, and the reason he's making it is because him and Tyrion are similar in that respect, in mm. that both of them aren't much in a fight, but they can find other ways of uh, of holding quite a large amount of power. Mm. Um, the, the only other thing to say about this chapter is um, Varys goes through all these different things that he's overheard, you know, he's basically informing on various people in the in the city. One of them is this knight called Sir Balan Swan, who, um, who's made, effectively just made a joke about Joffrey, where I think someone raises a glass to the king and he says, well, you'll need three glasses. Um and you know it's just a joke but it's just yeah. interesting how it's almost like a SS style isn't it where or yeah. in communist Russia everyone's informing on everybody and yeah. um, and even the smallest thing can get you into trouble because only the fact that Tyrion thinks oh he's just having a joke it's not worth bothering with that this guy isn't thrown in a dungeon um, yeah so and, and he ne- he would never know until the gold cloaks turned up to throw him yeah. in a dungeon that stinks of piss and doesn't have any light yeah Exactly, yeah. and there's a, there's a quick chat with Bron as well. There's a, <laughs> quite a funny uh, mention that Bron gives of Timot, who's the, one of the um, leaders of the Moon, you know, the of the uh, Mountain Clans. Are the people who um, chop off people's manhoods and feed them to the goats? Yeah, or fires uh, if goats are not available. Yeah, and he's only got one eye, and he looks a bit thick. So this guy, <laughs> um, th- this this sort of card or this gambler, has uh, tried to trick him in a bet. And um, and Timmits uh, apparently ripped out his his throat with his bare hands, so he's not a guy to be messed with. Oh, uh, Bron- we've all been in pubs like that at one time or another, haven't we? <laughs> it's it's great. Bronze just really impressed with it as well, and he starts showing Tyrion the technique, and Tyrion's like, "I'm not interested." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it, that's brilliant, isn't it? It's like a uh, forgive me, but a blow by blow account 
just coming in, just absolutely overwhelmed. You'll never fucking believe it, right? Because he got his fingernails sort of in up behind. And, I mean, fascinating stuff. Seriously, sit there, I'll show you. I don't <laughs> care. Yeah. And there's actually the, the, the end of the, the chapter as well. Um, Turing has, has to pause um, to sort of reassess what he's done because he's sent away these uh, absolutely ruthless killers to the wall um, who he didn't trust. Mm. And he just asks Bron, um, if I told you to kill an innocent baby or innocent child, would you do it without question? And Bron says no, and Tyrion thinks good. And then Bron says, I'd ask how much you pay me to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's just, I mean, I suppose in one way you could admire the guy's honesty, and another mm. it makes Tyrion think, mm, mm. we've still got, um, I'm still surrounded by ruthless killers anyway. Yeah. Yeah, but trying to rid the place of ruthless killers would. Do you think there's something in the fact that Tyrion is um, his, his closest consorts are a prostitute and a guy and a mercenary? Hmm. In what way? Well, I don't know. They're just maybe there's something more fundamentally straightforward about a guy who says, "I'm your friend as long as you pay me to be." Yeah. And a woman who says, "I love you as long as you pay me to do so," instead of people who are like, who kind of ask for and give trust. That's a good point. Yeah. You think he's naturally mistrustful of people who offer their uh, uh, sort of support for free yeah because yeah. there's always going to be a price and and as a Lannister he's got all the gold he needs you know he, like he's not gonna he's never gonna run short of that yeah I suppose he's always been taught that from his father as well although yeah. he, he's, he seems very close with Jamie, um, for no other yeah. reason than the fact they're siblings yeah have you been able to work that out by the way because I really can't yeah, I suppose they're not. There's no real scene where the. Um, I think it, it's it's just the the reaction of each of them when to, to news about the other makes me think that they they do they've always seemed to get. And when Tyrion remembers things about his childhood, it's always Cersei being horrible to him and Jamie looking after him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get the feeling that if if Jamie hadn't have liked him, I'm not sure Tyrion would have survived his childhood. I think there would have been some way that Cersei and Jamie would have got him out of the way. You mean Cersei and and, Tyrion, and Tywin? No, I mean Cersei. Uh, if if Jamie didn't like Tyrion, if they, if he felt the oh, same I way, see, Cersei if he did, just, yeah, 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 no, yeah. Well, they would have they would have killed him. Because I think I think I think Tywin, for all his sort of disgust with with Tyrion, um, mm-hmm. because his family wouldn't ever actually want him to see him dead. Yeah, that's true. I suppose Tywin could have killed him whenever he liked. <laughs> oh, this is although this is a guy who did place Tyrion in the vanguard of a major battle, so <laughs> you never know. Um, Thanks, okay, the, the, <laughs> the next uh, chapter is about Arya, and um, it's their continued. It's this group's continued journey up towards and through the Riverlands as they try and make it back to the Wall. Yorin's, uh, who's the leader, uh, is is really angry at the treatment of these. Uh, he's obviously a member of the Night's Watch and these are people who are going to become members of the Night's Watch he's really angry at their treatment by the villagers because obviously now 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 war is upon the area fields are being guarded and everybody's sort of withdrawing and looking after their own things so they're not getting any uh, any help with food or and all they're getting is threats along the way and you can see, you can understand why Yorin's pissed off because he's thinking, you know, <clears throat> we're the guys who are actually looking after all of you from what's going on further north of the wall. Yeah. And the least we could expect is a bit of respect and at least, you know, support when we come down here. But that's just not what's happening. 
Yeah, and he says, doesn't he? Time was you'd have been feasted at every hall and stronghold, and yeah. and yeah. Well, you know, long summers make people complacent, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and um, and and also, I suppose it's just the fact that it's war as well, and yeah. um, people are, are suspicious of any any groups travelling on the road. Um, they come across this this uh, town that's been burnt to the ground and find uh, a woman and a child and the woman dies very shortly after but they keep hold of this I think she's only two or three years old just toddling yeah. around yeah. and um, it's, it's. I just thought it was interesting that Yorin for all his ruthlessness and he's obviously a badass um, he says for, uh, you know, he's been doing this job for 30 years he's only ever lost three people when he's been taking them to the wall and one was someone who tried to kill him so he so had to kill him. Open his throat. Um, but yeah, doesn't he, he say? Take, no, he says it more horribly than that. He says, "I gave him a red smile." Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But on the other image. hand, on the other hand, he sort of takes in this little girl and thinks, "Well, we'll 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 drop her off somewhere safe," which is a nice touch of humanity about him. Yeah, very true. Very, very true. Oh, and there is there are there's this rumor of wolves in uh, ma- a massive pack of wolves in the Riverlands. Um, like sort of stalking through the woods, and um, Arya thinks has, has thought. I think she's thought in the past as well. This might be something to do with Nymeria, which was the wolf that she, you know, the her dire wolf, which she drove away when she was in that area yeah, way yeah, back yeah. when, when she was coming down the King's Road. Yeah, and um, one of the, I think it's one of the villagers says the only wolves the only wolves to fear around here are those wearing man skin um and i'm just wondering i was wondering whether that is just specifically about you know how some men are acting like wolves around here in sort of raping and pillaging or mm. whether it's that the, the stark men actually wearing you know wearing the badges with wolves on them and it could be any of those things couldn't it and and I think this is interesting because you you don't want to believe that this the Starks who you're minded to sympathise with are um, you know you, you kind of want to think of them as being as honest and nice and trustworthy as Ned was, mm. but they are well first of all they're being led by Roose Bolton, a man who let us not forget celebrates his presence in the world with a picture of a man who's had his skin stripped off. <laughs> um, and second of all, they're an army in this world. Like, are we honestly going to imagine that they're all lovely people? So, mm. I mean, I hadn't thought of that. You know, there's a pack of wolves, quote quote, um, yeah. that thing. But I think it makes that make that makes a lot more sense than um, Arya's wolf having kind of started a wolf uprising of some description. Even though I'd quite like that, um, <laughs> I think it makes a lot more sense for it to have been Stark Bannerman. Yeah. Um, the next chapter is Davos. Um, and we've not spent a lot of time with Davos yet. This is over at Dragonstone. This is a new point of view character, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you're right, actually, because the last time it was it, it was the epilogue, wasn't it? It was just Crescent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, Davos, new character. Ding, ding. And um, <laughs> <laughs> Is that the new character sound? Yeah, ding, ding. And uh, Great. He's, he's, uh, he's on the beach as uh, the, the basically the great and the good of um, Dragonstone are burning the gods. So there's these statues of the seven gods mm. and, um, and they're, being, they're being torched by uh, Lady Malisandra, who is, uh, obviously she's this fanatic who, uh, who's bringing this religion of uh, the red god over 
and uh, she's managed to convince Stannis to follow along as well. And this is the next step, which is mm. purging the uh, the city of all um, all, all reference to uh, to the Seven. It's not exactly one of those religions that welcomes plurality. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not not a live and let live type religion, no. is it? No. Um, <laughs> And it's interesting. I mean, there is some resistance from some of the more um, some of the lords that that, that are more sort of uh, t- closely tied to this religion. You know, more fanatical about um, about their religion. Uh, mm. The older one, the seven. Apparently, there's this family which try to defend the sept and are, um, are sl- uh, overwhelmed eventually, but die trying to defend their uh, t- to defend their sort of older religion. Mm. And it's just that I can't help Stannis really, um, because he needs unity if he's going to try and invade King's Landing. Yeah, and this is another time, isn't it, where Stannis, in his in his joyless stick up his ass decision making <laughs> process. I, by the way, I find it surprising how quickly I've come to really dislike Stannis. Like how efficiently he's been sketched as just an <laughs> asshole. Um, but this is just another moment, isn't it, where he's like, even though he doesn't really believe this, he's seen that there's power in these beliefs and he's yeah. willing to do what it takes to get what he wants out of this yeah. god. You know, he's 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 god-herding, if you like. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, if it, ter- if it turns out that this being, what's he called? Thriller or something? Yeah, I the, think I'm going to go for Rolor. Rolor, okay. Um, but you probably, uh, just because I, don't want to be going hula every time. Hula, you don't want to get a bit French, no? No. Hula, <laughs> the French Lord of Lights, puts lights up in a very tasteful manner and looks down on your lights. <laughs> um, R- Rolo, um, this god, if he turns out actually to exist, um, hmm. I-, I wonder exactly how loyal he's going to be minded to be to somebody who was like, I don't fucking believe in him, but I reckon he does some fairly tasty magic, so I'll have a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I get the I get the feeling that Stannis is, doesn't really believe in anything when it comes to religion, does he? Uh, He'll just take on whatever right, yeah. sort of suits his means. He's he's a very um, sort of what you see is what you get kind of guy, though, isn't he? And if he can't, <laughs> you know, if he can't see it, taste it, or feel it, he doesn't probably believe in it. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah th- there's this. I mean, the whole part of this burning the gods as well is is a ceremony where they effectively stage manage. Stannis being revealed as this um, this hero come again, um, and this this legendary hero um, yeah. who um, fought with a flaming sword, and he pulls sort of a, a flaming sword out of the fire, and everybody cheers. Yeah. Uh, a bit a bit later on, we find out more about this uh, this legend um, in this chapter through um, Salad Hassan, and apparently, so this this is a, in a summary. This guy called Azora High, okay. And um, he needed to. He needed a particularly powerful weapon to, you know, to defeat evil, shall we say? And he was temp. He was creating this master sword. And whenever it got to the stage where you temper it, so you you, you sort of you have to cool it down. Um, do, do you know? Do you know when you're making a sword? So, so you, you you hammer it, hammer it, hammer it, hammer it. Get it really, really hot, and then you temper it in water normally to yeah. to, to finish it off. Yeah. Whenever he did that, it it'd shatter. Yeah. So he tried. I think he tried to temper it in the like um, in ver- various different ways, and the only way he could do it in the end successfully was by stabbing his wife, <laughs> so that so her blood tempered the sword. Um, and uh, you know, so it's a pretty 
that's a pretty extreme thing to do. <laughs> <so> we say, <laughs> yeah, no kidding, no kidding. And the, and for this to be the basis of a religion, I find somewhat troubling. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. Well, yeah, Salad Hassan, who's the pirate who, who's friends with Davos, um, also finds it troubling that um, he says for for that that's the that's the real story, and you know he doesn't think that you can get that same. Effect. You can't have the same level of hero by just pulling a flaming sword out of the sand. Um, it suggests <laughs> there's more to it than that. Well, yeah, although I'm not certain, in a world where heroism is gained by stabbing your wife through the heart because it makes a good story, <laughs> I'm not certain what degree of moral authority you derive from that. Yeah, I think it's more about the level of sacrifice, isn't it? Um, so it's how much would you give up, and how much of yourself would you give up to actually, uh, to actually have that power? And yeah. obviously, he is. It's almost. It's almost like a a biblical Isaac, um, you know, story, um, isn't it? Carried through to its final final uh, end. That's very true. But except, there's no interaction between a divine entity and him. No, that's true. Is that he yeah. just decides that? fuck it, maybe this will work. Like, what sort of... Can you imagine <laughs> yeah. if it hadn't worked? You're like, oh, I thought I was on for some fantastic mythology there, but now, oh, I'm just a twat. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would go up to the guy and say, and just just show you're working there. Just give me your reason <laughs> behind that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because it seems insane. Um, <laughs> I just, I mean, I'm willing to go along with you, but at the moment you do seem fucking mental. So can you talk me through it again? <laughs> <laughs> um let's uh let's just let's just give mention to this guy edric storm who is um he's he's another one of robert's bastards and he's currently at a place called storm's end which is an, another part of uh of the mainland it's like a it's a, it's a city on a part of the mainland um mm. and stannis wants to wants to get hold of this guy because he thinks he's one of the um ways he can show that um, Joffrey's illegitimate because word, obviously by now it seems, has reached Stannis about uh, what Ned found out and what Stannis was, I think, looking at way before Ned even came to King's Landing. Do you remember he was going around the brothels with uh, with John Arryn and I think, oh, so yeah. I think he must have been suspicious about this um, the legitimacy of Joffrey and the other the other children on the throne now and and that that is basically um, Stannis's claim to the throne now, isn't it? He's sending these letters out all across Westeros saying, I'm the rightful king now because Joffrey's illegitimate. Yeah, so he has heard about it. And, mm. um, and although you can't imagine somebody as basically dull as Stannis doing a little tap dance on hearing it, you can imagine him sort of doing that internally, kind of, yeah, fucking right. <laughs> I really want to be king, and now I've got a reason to claim it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not even sure Stannis is excited about the prospect of it. I think it's just he's he's one of these guys. Like we said before, he's he's basically Ned, but with less humanity. It seems mm. um, yeah. he he just does what the rules say all the time. And when he hears that the rules say he should be king, now he's just. Um, so, well, he I'm just despises king. anyone who disagrees with it because that's just what it is. I suppose that was yeah. why he's suited to taking on this this red god as well. It's yeah. when you sort of pick a pick a pick an avenue and then just dismiss everything else. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's very um, true. Yeah. The, the the next chapter is about Theon. 
Theon's on the way to Pike, which is the Iron Islands. He's going to go and see Dad, who owns a massive fleet. And the big plan, as we find out later in the chapter, is for um, Balon Greyjoy, who's the uh, sort of the old king of the Iron Islands, to join with Rob and attack Casterly Rock. Um, using so as the, as sort of the, the main Lannister armies are fighting Rob in the field, the Iron Men go down to Casterly Rock, take over, and then go on from there, and the war's won. Doesn't Easy quite work out like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, just a, bit, a quick word about Pike, which is one of the islands. Mm. It's just this collection of towers built on a collection of just very thin islands that have been worn away by the sea, and they're all yeah. connected just by these rope bridges. It sounds like a fairly forbidding place. Do you know, I've seen a place that's not unlike that. Um, mm. And for a moment, when I saw the TV series, I thought they'd actually filmed it there, but actually, no, it's, it's far too far too dramatic um, mm. for that. But there, there's an island, I forget the name of it, not an island, a castle, on the mm. northern coast of Northern Ireland, um, which is almost like this, like it's on a headland. Which has been eroded, and there's a castle there, and it's just the most atmospheric-looking thing in the world, and it's terrifying <laughs> because you can just like—I mean, imagine being a sleepwalker living in a castle like that. <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna go for a bit of. Oh, I fall into my death. Oh. <laughs> um. So, uh, Th- Theon has been on, on the journey on this boat. Um, there's a captain, a captain's daughter, and obviously, just because he can. Um, Theon's been uh, been taking her to bed, and he doesn't seem to be remotely interested in her. It's just yeah, it's just another little illust- illustration of Theon's character, really, isn't it? Yeah, um, he, he doesn't strike me as the sort who's likely to cuddle afterwards. <laughs> no, he's a bit of a strutting peacock, isn't he? And, yeah, and it, well, it's I mean, it's interesting because so to this point, Theon had seemed to me like flippant, um, but basically benign just like a kid like very very immature Hmm. um but then in this scene there's a bit more like oh right so you're a twat you Hmm. know like it actually really caused me to kind of recalibrate my opinion of the guy yeah how about you what did you i mean were you did you already dislike him by this point um yeah i was uh, i didn't dislike him but i was i didn't i think i very much came down on the side of when when Caitlin said she didn't trust him, I sort of agreed with that, and I thought, yeah, I, there's something about him I don't particularly like. He's a wrong. Although, yeah, although all a lot of the characters are like that, you don't get the very very few you look at and think I, I would completely trust these this person. Mm. Um, I mean, the the stuff with um, the fact that he's always shagging around and using women. I mean, that's it, it seems like kind of a very much a thing of its time as well. Mm. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure true. how many other of these characters would look at that <laughs> and think, up. oh, that's not right. You yeah. know? <laughs> Unimpeachable so. feminists are quite thin on the ground in Westeros, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, um, th- we talked about this big th- plan that Theon has, and he's expecting to be welcomed back as the, you know, the, the return of the, of the sun and air. And it's another one of these, we've spoken about them before. <clears throat> For example, one was when uh, Ned Ned's big plan to uh to to go into the throne room and and become the uh become the uh what's it called when you're uh, when you're protecting like a law protectorate or uh regent it, yeah the regent that's the one yeah. um where one thing's happening um you, there's a plan going along 
and you sort of can see how it could work but various things start cropping up along the way which makes you think actually think something's going to go wrong here mm. as he arrives he realises that there's this massive fleet already at Pike so his dad's already called the banners which seems a bit strange unless he already knows what Theon's plan is Yeah. when Theon gets off the boat there's no one really there to greet him apart from this guy called Aaron Dampere, who's uh, <laughs> he's um, he's one of Theon's uncles, and he used to be he's called uh, Aaron Greyjoy, and he used to be this really happy-go-lucky like kind of guy, and now he's become this dour, very serious religious fanatic who apparently he 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 almost drowned, and um, after surviving came back as this sort of um, very serious man of God. Um, <laughs> It's, it's yeah. like it's like the opposite, isn't it, of somebody who's like, I nearly drowned and my life flashed before my eyes and I realised I just need to take more joy in things, you know, <laughs> live every day as it comes, you know, dance like nobody's watching. And his version of that is, I nearly drowned and I realised I've been, I've wasted my life. I yeah. need to be less joyful. That's been my <laughs> problem so far. Far too much happiness. <laughs> yeah. Um. I really like Theon's journey through, like, journey to the castle, because um, he, he he goes through these various parts of Pike, and they're all overlaid with memories of the rebellion and the battle that was fought there. Mm. So he sees like a a couple of new buildings, and he remembers how the old ones were burned to the ground, and he, he sees this newly um, or fairly newly sort of reinforced wall, and he mm. remembers that this is the point where. Um, Robert's army breached and Thoros of Mere, this priest, came running through with a burning sword, followed by like the rest of the army. And mm. it's just great to have these little echoes as he's, as he's on his way up to see his father about mm. what happened 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and I actually I thought that was that was really interesting stuff, just all this background of, um, like... Because all we've heard really about before this story started is there was a king that went mad and Robert and Ned rebelled and, and Robert took the throne. And then hmm. Ned went back to the north. And you have a sense, you, you kind of know ish where Theon comes from. Yeah. You don't really have a sense of it having been like an epic military campaign, but it really was. And yeah. and there's and there's a great melancholy when he flashes back and remembers seeing um, uh, Robert there with his warhammer. And, yeah. you know, you're just, you're just thinking, oh, you know, he was killed by a pig. <laughs> you know, all, all flesh is grass sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now th- this this meeting between um between Theon and his father doesn't go anywhere near according to plan because <laughs> Theon dresses himself in in all the finery he can to sort of make a good impression. Doesn't remember his dad very well obviously. because um, <laughs> w- when when he turns up his his father sees this gold chain around his neck and says, "Did you pay the gold or the iron price for that?" And the gold price is obviously you know, you pay money for it, and the iron price is you take it from the uh, from the corpse of someone you've slain. Um, and yeah. in on the Iron Islands, this kind of shows what kind of people these guys are. Um, the women tend to dress themselves in gold, which they pay for, and the men only ever wear things that they've taken from the body of a rival. Um, <laughs> that sounds like going shopping on a Saturday morning an altogether new experience, must it? <laughs> Come on, come well, out. You need some more shoes. But I just don't want to kill anyone today. Well, you're <laughs> half a man then, aren't you? Come on, get your sword out. Pick somebody with the right size feet. Challenge them to a fight. Look at them funny. It'll be fine. Well, I was just thinking, with the Game of Thrones series, 
Um, apparently, it's the most pirated series um, ever on the internet. <laughs> is it really? And, yeah, and I just, I just always think that it's just all these people paying the iron price <laughs> for watching it. <laughs> <laughs> no that's not the iron price that's like the silicon price or something isn't it it's much less much less hardcore version of the price because nobody has to die yeah (laughs) Um, so so theon has this offer um and we we realize while spending a bit of time with theon here that he does he doesn't like most of the stark kids but he does have this brotherly um feelings towards towards rob they are like older and younger brother aren't they yeah um and he makes almost makes mention of that um to balan grejo when he's making this offer and this Mm. sends his dad into an absolute rage because and he says you know never um call him um brother in a in, in, in my presence place. and in these yeah. halls this yeah. this is the guy whose father killed your real brothers yeah um yeah and, and it's obvious that balon isn't the kind of guy who's going to forgive and forget over no. things like that no no absolutely um yeah it's all harsh in it it's all yeah. you can you know just every single sentence out of his dad's mouth you see theon deflate and yeah. just everything i mean you turn up and you have really no idea what to expect yeah and 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 it just all goes to shit so this offer to um to ally with rob and become king of the iron islands and attack castle rock uh balon says no we're not going to do that i'm not going to be nobody gives me a crown um mm. i take what i want and he says i've got another target and theon thinks i think i know what's where this is going and that's yeah. where the chapter ends well where's he going i mean do we want to speculate on where he's going? I think it seems fairly obvious that it's not going to be south. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can imagine him being quite dismissive of the south. Why would I want to conquer any of those pansy-ass yeah. places? Um, yeah. I'm just like I've actually I've got a map. I'm just looking at the map now from the Iron Islands. He could take the twins. The twins are right there and are strategically important and significant. Yep, could take yep. the twins. Although, although one thing about the twins, the tall hearts are Garrison there at the moment. You know, oh, my boys, your so, boys. Well, they've not shown themselves to be much, though, have they, Matt? Yeah, well, maybe this is an opportunity for them to not show yet. their quality. But yeah, there's that. Or, or there's, um, I suppose, any number of places further north, which yeah, are I mean, I'd, empty at the moment. Yeah, Mo- Mo- Kalin, eh? Flint's Finger, Barrowton, mm. um, uh, Wolfswood. <laughs> <laughs> the dreadful. Can you imagine if he, he's turned down Casterly Rock to take the grand prize of Barrow Town? <laughs> <laughs> There's barrows there. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm a pragmatist, and we need barrows. <laughs> I mean, if it is Barrow Town, it shows a chronic lack of ambition. <laughs> Call yourself a king. Pay the iron price for a bunch of wooden barrows. Who taught you economics? <laughs> <laughs> right okay um we, we move on to daenerys actually just a point if daenerys does uh end up invading westeros i'd imagine barrow town might be one of the first places to go if it's made of wood um <laughs> anyway. oh yeah because she's she's got she's got her her badass babies yeah is this a, this is the first time is it the first time we've gone to da- daenerys in this uh in this book i think it is i, I believe it is yeah yeah so um so when we last left her yeah she's got basically 
three baby dragons and a hundred of the weakest people in her group left. So things aren't going particularly well. She's um she's trying to decide what to do next here, and she ends up deciding to effectively trek across this desert called the Red Waste because if she goes any other direction she's going to, her, her and her people are going to be captured and killed um, including if she goes uh, in, in the direction of where the land men of the Lazarene live um, even they would be able to overcome her and we've already realised what a unwarlike people they are they, I don't know I thought they had a certain something about them that their, their name was certainly a fun thing to say they have one thing about them which is the name which the is their name but... of the Lazarine the Lambman of the Lazarine <laughs> Khaleesi <laughs> the Lambman of the Lazarine <laughs> I do love them guys I hope, I hope they're going to take a big part in the uh, in future books fingers I, crossed me too me too mind you they're not going to last very long are they if we're not careful well exactly yeah so, so there's this really um really difficult crossing um, of the red waste so they go into this desert and it stretches on for miles and miles and miles and the weaker of the of the group of which are an already weak group uh, basically mm. don't make it along the way including Dorea who is uh, she's the the girl she was basically the the prostitute that if you remember Viserys hired way back when and she actually ended up helping Daenerys to get Drogo on side through a few tricks in the bedroom. Um, oh, I remember that. There was a bit of a uh, not at all a sop to the fanboys. A little bit of casual <laughs> lesbianism. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah. Well, she she um she doesn't make it. She she dies um, along the way mm. here, um, which actually is worth pointing out is different to the series. In the series, she um she does survive this journey, and she ends up betraying Daenerys. And um, oh, yeah. da- Daenerys gets her own back in a really macabre way, but we'll we'll probably discuss that once we get to the sort of equivalent stage in the book. Well, I'll be interested um, to see what the equivalent of that is now. Like yeah. whether, whether that was just something really unpleasant that they put into the um, put into the TV series, gratuitously. Yeah. Well, we will see. Um, ju- just when it gets oh, the, another thing about so that they've hardly any food and they're trekking across the red the red waste. Mm-hmm. Um, they need food, they need water supplies are really 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 depleted mm. and um, these dragons um, are eating several times their body weight in meat every day <laughs> so that's an extra strain isn't it, if you're trekking along behind Daenerys thinking that's a lot of meat that we're, that we're wasting every day <laughs> on her pet lizards yeah, <laughs> isn't it? It's a bit weird. Anyway, yeah. they, they are they are saved because they come across this abandoned, you know, deserted city, um, which is. I mean, some of the people don't want to go in because they're worried about ghosts. But Daenerys says, you know, um, it's this or starve. So you may as well suck it up. <laughs> and they they find loads of uh, fruit and water there, so it seems quite a safe place. Um, they call it Vastoloro, which is um, the city of bones, and this is quite a cool name for it. It, it is a bit, although it doesn't bode well for tourism, does it? Come to no. the city of bones, <laughs> <laughs> feel reborn. <laughs> yeah, we have bones <laughs> and fruits, and lots of shitty little figs, apparently. Come for the, yeah, yeah, come for the bones, stay for the fruit. <laughs> 
<laughs> you won't give a fig about anywhere else. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, Matt, how do you not work in advertising? You're a, you're a loss. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so there's a little so so we get to this safe haven um in the city of bones and uh sejora there's this conversation between sejora and daenerys where we find out a bit more about sejora's backstory specifically around his um his his last marriage where basically he um he was part of this um putting down Bell on Greyjoy's rebellion. He was one of the first people through the breach. Do you remember when we said about this breach in the wall where mm-hmm. Thoris charged through? He yeah. was second or third behind. Then he was knighted for that. Yeah. And then he he fought in a tournament and did really well, and had this whirlwind romance with this um this woman called uh, what was it called Lyness or Lynes from uh, High Tower, mm-hmm. who was mm-hmm. this really well-to-do uh, lord's daughter. And mm. he somehow got permission to marry her. Took her home to Bear Island, <laughs> where she thought it was absolutely shit because it's quite a rough place up there. Yeah, and she was used to the fine things in life. And basically, he gets stuck. He gets stuck in this spiral, doesn't he? Where he's desperately trying to pay more and more money to keep her happy. Mm. And um, in the end, he ends up trading slaves and is caught by well, Ned Stark finds out and that's why he decides to go into exile rather than face justice after going into exile his wife leaves him anyway so it's a really sad story. It, it really is actually and um, and I thought this was um, this was really good character detail and it is none of this is in the TV series yet it's all mm. been you know this character is just his, his role has been to kind of ride along be badass with a sword Smolder and occasionally deliver lines like "the Lamb Men <laughs> of the Lazarine." <laughs> you know, like I mean, and fair enough, Ian Glenn's a dude, and he delivers those lines with panache. But you know, the character so far doesn't have nearly this this depth. Mm. Um, and I tell you what was really interesting is, is at the end of this passage, Daenerys realizes that um, that he loves her, that because he sees in her this mm. wife who left him and yeah. that he's he's interested in her as more than just kind of like the head of her Kingsguard and that's something that the TV series has left to smolder in a sort of classically kind of there's all this kind of sexual tension whereas mm. here George Martin takes a step in that direction where like at one point I think I think her clothes kind of slip down off of her shoulder and you think oh hello and then <laughs> says later that he lifted his eyes from her exposed shoulder to her face and you think oh hello <laughs> yeah, but but yeah. then he just bursts all of it and 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 has the character Daenerys go nah, whatevs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Her reaction seems to be, uh, oh, this could be a bit awkward. She doesn't seem to think uh, at all that she'd be willing to return those kind of affections. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, there's she she sends out. She, she thinks basically this this is a safe place for now. It's a good place to recover, but she sends out a few scouts to find out what else is around to see if there's anywhere else they can go next. Yeah, and they find a few abandoned towns, but one of them, one of her scouts, finds this city called Carth, and oh, um, right, he comes yeah. back with uh, three people from the city, and this is where it ends. Um, it's a guy called Piat Pre, who's a warlock. Um, he's got he's this guy who's got blue lips, and um, he seems a bit strange 
There's a yeah. guy called Zaro Zaro Daxos, who's a quite a wealthy merchant in the city. And there's this woman called Kaith or Quaith um, of the Shadow, who again is another mysterious sounding person. All we get is just a sort of one line description of each of these at the end of this yeah. chapter. Yeah. But they, they sound like quite an interesting bunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got a warlock with purple lipstick on, and you've got. Um you know, you've got traders and that. And then the last line's a killer, isn't it? The last line is, we want to know about dragons. Yeah. And in that moment, because they, they've given quite a lot of dialogue or, like, internal monologue to um, uh, to Daenerys about how nobody can take these away from her and she will fight to the death and stuff. And her response mm. is incredibly calm. And you just see how far she's come from being this girl who was kind of abused and bullied by her older brother. Yeah. You know, where she feels this deep connection to the dragons, but it's given her so much confidence that when somebody shows up and basically says, well, look at you starving in the desert, we want to talk about dragons, her mm. response isn't, no, fuck off, it's, I have dragons. Yeah. And there's, yeah, all, there's, there's a kind of utter calm, almost kind of creepy, or not creepy, but just like totally assured... I have dragons, <laughs> mm. which where she's saying that, and it's absolutely not a statement of, and you can have these dragons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, these promises some very interesting stuff to come. I think. Yeah, uh, we move over to John for a very short chapter. Um, they continue. They're, they're making their way north of the wall now. This big group of men of the Night's Watch. They've come across this village called White Tree, which mm. is a yet another deserted village that they've passed quite a few of these along the way it turns out and all the wildlings seem to have disappeared um, mm. which is which is disconcerting so they, they they do a search of this village and find that's pretty much the same here as well um, John's searching the houses with a guy called Dolores Ed who's um, I really like this character he's just really miserable but quite um, funny with it <laughs> and like yeah. this one of the things he comes out with here is they're looking in these hovels and uh, and he says something along the lines of, "Yeah, I was born in a place like this. And later, I fell on hard times." <laughs> <laughs> and it's always going out <laughs> miserable stuff like that. But he's a uh, he's a great character. Absolutely, like he's um, Eeyore, isn't he? He's Eeyore plonked yeah. down in the middle of Westeros. It's kind of. <laughs> yeah. I started in a place like this. Of course, afterwards things took a turn for the worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, someone else who's also having a bit of a shit time of it is Chet do you remember this guy he used to be the steward from, for uh, yeah, Maester Aemon then John and, fucked uh, him right up yeah and he's stuck look, looking after the dogs now and he, he just at some point he just runs by chasing after one of the dogs and it just made me laugh at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can almost hear his dopplering scream of hate can't you yeah, Fuck you, yeah. Jon Snow! <laughs> uh, John also has a quick chat with uh, Sam because um, the Lord Commander wants to send back a message to to the to Castle Black, just saying, you know, an, another empty village. Mm. And um, in, in, d- during that time, obviously, Sam has to send the message. So John has a chat with him about it, and it turns out Sam's growing a bit. Um, he he's less afraid now, um, even though things are quite disconcerting here mm. and there is this sense of dread amongst most people Sam basically says you know I'm I'm kind of growing into this uh, and I love I love the sound of that I love the sight of that um, particularly because he's still quite openly like I am a coward 
But he's yeah. all right out here, isn't it? Um, and <laughs> I wonder what it'll take until he no longer describes himself as a coward if he continues on this like upward curve. If it's going to be like yeah. it's like the bodies of his enemies lie dead at his feet, but he's still going. I'm, I'm really quite frightened, <laughs> as though warriors and knights aren't also quite frightened, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, no, I, I like it? that. I like this scene. Okay, let's move on to this. Is the final chapter for today, and it's about Aya. And this is a this is a cracking set piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts off; they're continuing their journey towards uh, Castle Blight. They're they're now in the heart of the Riverlands, where the war really is raging around them, um, and they're just passing all these deserted farms and towns. And it's almost like a an echo of what's going on north of the Wall. Mm, yeah, yeah. They're just passing all these uh, places where no one's around. It seems like people just dropped everything and disappeared. Yeah. They get to this massive lake. Uh, which you can see on the map actually if you if you turn back to the start of the book it's where the god's eye is and heron hall's pretty much next to it the god um uh, the god's yeah. eye, if you remember what the yeah if you remember what the god's eye is it's a i think it's um it's basically a big lake with an island in the middle of it called the isle of faces and i think that's where the last children of the forest are supposed to live you know these little oh yeah yeah, yeah. little people do they still live there is that well i don't I don't know if um, it, that's just a legend, yeah. Um, and if people just don't go there, or when they do, they don't see anybody, so they assume no, yeah. Um, but the, so it's one of those things where the stories say that you know that was the last place where they where they lived. All right, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, but they, they're trying to make the way further north, and they decide to try and stop in Heronhall because Lady Went, who um, is is the sort of person who, who, who runs her hall if you like yeah. um she's always been a friend to the night's watch now we know now this is all should already strike a, a note of discord here because we already know from what rob said um at river run that um or it might be what either rob or tywin said that the lannisters have uh, driven lady went out of heron hall that was part of one of those battle reports we heard yeah it's foreboding isn't it because there's this group of yeah. people who are kind of being, you know, a, a very bunch of basically useless kids and chained mm. rapists, and um, in the middle of which is one or two characters we care about. And you're like, don't yeah. go there, don't do it. Yeah, because, I mean, technically, they shouldn't worry either way because the Night's Watch takes no part, but we've already seen that that rule doesn't necessarily always apply. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People don't necessarily... Um, abide by it they come across this large town which has a holdfast in the middle of it which is sort of like a mini castle mm. and um, again it's deserted and they decide to stay there for the night because it's the best choice of a bad bunch really but um, they they stay in the holdfast and Yorin sends a few of the more experienced or better members of the group to, to garrison a tower in the middle of the town as well, so they can keep an eye out for anyone uh, approaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, this is exactly what happens. After night falls, um, the the Lannisters arrive, it turns out, and they put the town to the torch. And as as they're burning the town, um, they shout, they're shouting for Lord Beric. They, they're trying to find this guy called Beric, which is... It's this bloke who we understood to be to have been defeated. Um, do you remember? He's the guy who Ned sent to to bring the mountain to justice yeah. in the first book. Yeah. And then we heard we heard through Rob that his force got 
smashed apart in an ambush. Mm. Um, and it turns out he mustn't. He must have escaped because the Lannisters are still looking for him, and he's giving them grief. Uh, he's sort of har- harassing them. Do you reckon he would have gone out with a wolf patch on him? And could it be that this oh. is the wolf pack that everybody's talking about? Well, he would have had. You'd expect his banner would have been the stack because he's um, he's under the banner of the king, isn't he? Oh yeah. But he did. But, but he did have members of um, members of Ned's guard with him of Ned's household because mm. he sent about about a te- about like a, a third of his household in this group, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. So so that so there would be Starks in amongst that. So that's that's a, that's a possibility, well, isn't that's it? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, now the, the this group this. Uh, uh, a group of Lannisters is led by a uh, commander called Sir Amory Locke. Is it Locke or Locke? I'm Locke. not going to take a guess at that. I'm going I'm to go for Locke. <laughs> I called it Caitlin so, for Sir, two books in a row. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll call him Sir, Sir, Sir Amory Locke. And um, he's this, I mean, quite. Uh, he immediately comes across as quite a repulsive character. Um, they, th- th- This army basically arrive at the Holdfast and demand that the the people open the gates to let them in mm. which which doesn't sound like a great idea and Yorin doesn't think that that's thinks that's the case as well yeah. um he has this discussion saying you know we're just members of the night's watch we don't take any part in this leave us alone and we'll leave you alone mm. and um and the Lannisters basically don't believe them and say we want to come in and take a look around yeah he said they say open your gates and Yorin just sort of considers for a minute and then in his typical sort of just brusque way, just sort of spits and just goes, no, I don't think I'll be doing that. Just for a second there, I, <laughs> I could just see, instead of spitting, just in his typical brusque way, gets his cock out and waves it at him. <laughs> I, I think it, it would be, if this was a, a few centuries later, it would be sort of takes a drag on the cigarette, flicks it, like blow smoke towards them and just goes nah don't think I'll be doing yeah, that yeah 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 um, no or, no, I'm, that's much, a much better version of that is he takes a drag takes it in blows it in somebody's face and then just goes fuck off <laughs> yeah um, so he says no and um, and then they they say we're going to we're, we're going to we're going to storm the walls and Yorin's final sort of it's it's a plea, but he doesn't. It's, he's not begging, but he just makes the final point. He says, "I've got young boys here, mm. you know." Don't, he's basically saying, "Come on, don't do this." Yeah. And and the, the the response from the Lannisters is, "Well, boys, young boys and men die just the same." And they they attack. In case you were curious about who the bad guys are supposed to be in this situation, <laughs> and the thing is, um, Amory Locke, when he gives the command, he says. He sort of waves a, a hand and says, "Storm the walls and kill them all," in a bored voice. Yeah. It's almost as if, sort of, it's just they're just they're just doing it because he can. He's like, he's almost it's something to do. Just massacre this group of people. Yeah, and it just shows the inhumanity of this these kind of groups. Who, I suppose, if if your job for the last few months has been just massacring people. You know, you'd lose that kind of humanity, I suppose. I suppose. If you ever had it to start yeah, with. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. But I wonder why people, like, if you're that bored, why tell people to kill other people? I just, I don't understand it, but then I've never been a medieval knight, so maybe I would have found it easier to understand back in the day. <laughs> well, I suppose that that is that guy's job. If he doesn't do it, he'll be removed and someone else will. Yeah. 
so it's 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 whether you, I suppose it's the <clears throat> it's the old thing of just people accepting. You know, this is my lot, so I may as well get on with it. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Eh? That's, just, that's a hell of a job, yeah. though. I'm just imagining the, the job description for that. Are you oh, a yeah. murderous, psychopathic, unquestioningly loyal cock? <laughs> <laughs> this job could be for you. Apply. Joffrey Baratheon, King's Landing. <laughs> you don't have to be a murderous, psychotic <laughs> cock, but it helps. <laughs> um, so there's this, there's this bloody, vicious battle as... Uh, Obviously, they they're, they're only young, you know, they're only children and some yeah. sort of fairly unimpressive men in, in in this group. But they're in a very strong position because they, they they're in this holdfast and they're fighting for their lives. So it goes. Um, they put up quite a fight, although eventually they're overwhelmed. Um, <laughs> it's quite interesting when they're defending the walls. Um, Aya's got her sword. And as she's hacking at people who are trying to get over the wall, she's shouting Winterfell, you know, as, as sort of her yeah. father's men would do in battle. Yeah. Um, and and Hot Pie, who's with her, is shouting Hot Pie <laughs> as he attacks. She's <laughs> quite funny. I wonder, what, I wonder um, what's in his head when he's doing that. Is he just hearing her yell something really weird if he's from the south? Does he know what Winterfell is? Or is he just like, yeah, I'm going to think of yeah. something to yell as well. <laughs> Hot pie. Hot pie. <laughs> it's the only thing I've really known how to yell, but I'm good at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is. I, I really like hot pie as well. I think. Yeah. It, this it was quite a nice moment before um b- before the battle where I is um sitting, I think, sharpening a sword, and um, hot pie comes over just for a chat, and he's um is he, he just it's funny because when we first meet him he's boasting about kicking this boy to death and he seems really horrible yeah. and you find out as as it goes along and it, at, by this point he he says i think i didn't kick anyone to death i just i just sell i used to just to sell pies and he's just his scared little boy yeah. but he was just all bravado before yeah well and but, uh, i mean that's every young boy's experience isn't it sort of between about yeah. like 8 and 13 or so that's how people talk oh, i did this i did that and it's bollocks it's laughable bollocks but yeah. but at the time it's what it takes to what it takes to look impressive um and just in this yeah. world that that sort of bollocks ends up with you being sent to the wall to be a warrior monk yeah. poor bastards yeah now um the the group are overwhelmed and um pretty much most of the named characters are killed the, the, the other character who actually has spoken the most beyond yorin Aya, Gendry, and um, and Hot Pie is this little guy called Lommy, a little kid called Lommy, mm. and he's um, he's killed in this battle, and uh, yeah. along with most of the others. And just as as it's all going wrong around them, and they're wondering what to do, Yorin appears again. He's obviously still fighting, mm. and he tells them to get out because it's it's over effectively. So th- there's this little trapdoor which they know about, which they make the way to. So you've basically got Gren. It's not Gren, sorry, it's Gendry, isn't it? Gendry and uh, Aya and Hot Pie and this little girl, you know, the little kid, the little toddler oh, that managed the girl, to yeah, keep hold of yeah. her as well. So they make their escape um, as the whole as the holdfast catches fire and everything else is going crazy around them. Um, as, they're, as they're fleeing, um, Aya frees those three blokes who are in the cage... Do you know the 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 three really dangerous men who are who are with them, um, including the so dangerous that they've 
Isn't one of them without a nose? Snorts through his nose all day about how he likes to kill and eat little girls. Yeah, one of them doesn't have a nose. One of them is is bald with with teeth filed to points, <sighs> and the other one is just this this weird bloke called Jack and Hagar who speaks in a funny way. His his main <laughs> his main reason for being looked up seems to be his odd turn of phrase because the other two have got obvious reasons. But anyway, <laughs> he talks funny. Put him in the cage. <laughs> yeah, but she yeah she frees them as she's because they're basically trapped in this burning building. Yeah. And she she takes pity on them and throws them an axe so they can get out yeah. um, as they escape. We don't find out what happens to Yorin. Um, he stays and continues to fight, and um, and you know as they make their escape, we're left wondering because I've I don't know about you, but I've sort of grown quite fond of that guy. Yeah. So I'm kind of hoping he he somehow cuts his way out. Absolutely, I I I'd love to see that, but how likely is it? Do you think? Well, well, it didn't look particularly good, did it? <laughs> But we will see. Yes, we will. Um, and that's where that's where we end the that's where we end this part of the book. Oh. It's quite a big one, that wasn't it? It was pretty big chunk. But um, good fight scene. At I the mean, end. and quite a lot's happened. Yeah, I love it. And it's one of those ones actually. It's worth just pointing out. It's way better than the series. Yeah. Um, they just get uh, just in in the series actually. They just get uh, caught by the drum the gold clocks yeah. who came after them originally. Yeah. They catch them up again and just you know take take a lot of them prisoner but uh, th- th- there isn't any of this massive uh, set piece of trying to defend the hold fast and I-, I thought it was fantastic in the book. It was great and it, isn't it interesting that even though it's a really big budget TV series and you're really impressed with everything that's on display the battle scenes are the thing they very rarely do. They kind yeah, of twist themselves yeah. in knots to only ever do a battle scene when they absolutely have to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah because that's where all the money I suppose is spent isn't it if you're going to do if that. you're going to do a battle scene yeah 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 absolutely. Okay, for next time, let's give you the, uh, the the page references. So we're now up to page 207, and it's a chapter about Tyrion, and it begins, The Queen was not disposed to wait on Varys. She's not really disposed to wait on anyone, is she, the Queen? <laughs> not much um, of a waiter in herself. <laughs> no. So we'll start from there, and we're going to read up to page 342. 342? This is a monstrous chunk of book. Yeah, so it's 135 pages. And page 342 is a chapter about Theon, which begins <laughs> quite... It's not particularly unusual for Theon to think like this. It says, she was undeniably a beauty. Um, that was that's, that's Theon's first thought. So when you get up to the chapter about Theon, which begins, she was undeniably a beauty. It's roughly page 342, hmm. if you're reading the paperback. Yeah. Then stop there. And that is the section we will discuss next week. It's like I say, it's a beast, 135 pages, um, but it's going to be a good one. Plenty of interesting things happen. All right, let's do it. Yeah, if you if you have any thoughts on the podcast or on the book, you know what to do. All you need to do is send us an email at sharkliveroilpodcast.gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast.gmail.com. Or you can tweet us. We are at Shark Liver Oil on Twitter. There you go. Dave, final thoughts? <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. On that bombshell, we will... Uh, we will see you. We will see you next week, uh, and uh, enjoy the next part of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. Bye.